That never happens. Even if you're the boss in your own company, you don't have you have people who tell you what to do. They're called the IRS, um, you know, um, other kinds of entities, right? You have people who are, there's always people in your life who are telling you what to do, right? So obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And whatever whatever kind of people they are, honor your father and your mother that you might enjoy God's blessing. Now, that's the word for those of us who were kids. Here's the word to us who are parents. That as a spirit-filled parent, you need to nurture, discipline, and instruct your children. Parents, look at verse 4 with me. This has a lot for us to unpack and understand. To begin with, notice that it is addressed to fathers. It is addressed to fathers. That assumes that in a Christian house, dad is present, right? I recognize that might not always be true, but the reason it's addressed to fathers is because fathers are the ones that God holds accountable consistently throughout the scriptures for the raising of children. In other words, men, hear me when I say this, you cannot deputize your wife and just say, yeah, you take care of all that kid stuff. Your job, my job, men, is not simply to say the things that mom says in a deeper voice. It is to take the initiative to raise our children to walk with God. That's what the scripture is telling us here. Um, it's also addressed to fathers, again, because culturally, at the time that this is written, fathers had total control over everyone in their house. And this word is given to indicate to fathers that whatever your cultural baggage is, you have a different role than what the culture is telling you. And in fact, they're told this. This is to this is written in, into a culture where pow, where power of life and death resided in the father in the house. And we read, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Is that countercultural? Yes. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a startling countercultural command. It gives dignity and worth to children in a way that is foreign to the ancient world and is still foreign to our own day. So let's consider the command specifically. First, I want to think about on the negative side uh, how to avoid the sin of provoking our children to anger. And in order to do that, we need to think about the ways that we are prone to provoking them to anger. First of all, I would say that we provoke our children to anger when we are unreasonable. When we demand of them things of which they are not capable, or when we punish them in ways that are out of proportion to the actual offense committed, or we cross the line from discipline into abuse. If that happens, you're being unreasonable. And you are provoking your child to anger. In other words, you are planting a root in anger that will 
grow up into bitterness against you and make you one of those parents that is hard to honor. You feel me on this? I don't want that to be true of me. Second, we provoke our children to anger when we are constantly critical. We have a default setting of finding fault in everything that they do instead of praising them for what they did do and did well and did right. I've seen this happen. You seen this where you have somebody who's a parent and every time that they talk about their kid, it's about everything their kid is screwing up in. It's like, oh, teenagers, I hear this. I do. I hear this from people. Oh, teenagers, you know, or or they 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 they, they think that teenagers ought to have like a warning label, you know. By the way, just for my own house, okay, having teenagers is far better than having little ones. It is. It's fantastic. I love having teenagers in my house. In fact, we're trying to import some more into the house of their friends, right? Because I love having them in my house. They're fun, right? But what you hear from a lot of parents is, oh, just wait till your kids are teenagers. The implication being, well, then your life will really be horrible, right? But that's not... That's not reality. It doesn't have to be reality. Right? And if you're a parent who is looking for all of the negative things in someone else's life, then you are going to find it. But if you are looking for all the things that you can praise and encourage and be a blessing in, you're going to find those too. Don't have a default setting of criticism with reference to your kids. Provoke them to anger in that. We provoke them to anger when we belittle them or call them names. We provoke our children to anger when we neglect them, treating them as unimportant or failing to care for their needs or train them with the skills that they need for successful adulthood. All these things, I think, violate God's command to us and all of them, therefore, require repentance involving confession to both God and our kids and asking for forgiveness and then turning from those things going forward. By the way, one of the best things you can do when you screw up and everybody knows it is to apologize and then to change your behavior going forward, right? Now, I didn't grow up in a house. I had great parents, but I did not grow up in a house where my parents ever apologized growing up that I can remember because the assumption was that where I screwed up, I needed to apologize, but where they screwed up, they were the parents, so they were beyond that, right? I don't think that's right. We come before the Lord and we apologize to one another because we stand before Him on equal footing. Right? All right. Um, ask for forgiveness and turn from those things going forward. Now, on the positive side, I've summarized our calling as parents with these three words. Nurture, discipline, and instruct. And first there's the word nurture. And I get that word from the phrase, bring them up. 
It's literally a, a word that trans. There's a, a word that's there in the original text that is translated with that phrase, and it carries the idea of nourishing, like a plant. Uh, it also is the same word that's used in chapter five, verse twenty-nine, referring to how a man nourishes and cherishes his wife. It's the idea of being gentle and tender with your children meeting their needs. And men, remember this is addressed to us primarily. Our wives a lot of times are a lot more nurturing, a lot more like tender and gentle. But the reality is that we, this is addressed to us, fathers. And godly men are gentle with their kids. And they care and provide for all of their needs, not just for them materially. That's kind of a lot of our default setting, right? Well, I was a good provider. What did we mean by that? Well, what we meant was we went to work. And we earned money and bought groceries and provided heat and a roof, right? Which there's, that's, that's important, and I don't want to devalue that. But the idea here of nourishing is... And nurturing is the idea of caring for them with gentleness. Second, there is the word discipline. Now, you've got to be careful here. This word is not a synonym for punishment. Now, training your kids sometimes involves that. In fact, I remember one of our kids when he, when he was growing up, you could see him like, desperately in need of his banking, right? And then he would get one, and he was like, oh, all is right with the world, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and like, I just needed my attitude adjusted, and now I can think right, right? Uh, it was funny. It really was, to a degree, right? And, and, and there's an appropriate level of discipline in, in that sense, right? Of administering consequences and drawing appropriate lines and enforcing them. Right? As your kids get older, the consequences need to change. But there there's, is an aspect of discipline that's there, and it might include, when the kids are younger, a, an appropriate spanking at times. But discipline is broader than that. The word discipline carries the idea of training and equipping into a way of life, of shaping them in a direction that will serve them well in adulthood. Right? There are disciplines that you have in your life. My wife is very disciplined. She gets up about 5 o'clock in the morning and goes down to our basement and lifts weights and works out and then does her quiet time, right? Um, I'm lucky if I can stumble my way downstairs by 6.30, get a cup of coffee and start mine, right? <laughs> but, um, but there is a discipline to our way of life, right? There are things that we do every day, and you want to, as part of the discipline of your life with your kids, institute some things that shape them in a direction and equip them for life. And also, there's the word instruction. There's a teaching component to good parenting. And that includes everything from how to change your oil, how to fix a leaky tire, 
how to do your taxes, how to study for a test, how to do your laundry, how to run a vacuum, how to wash dishes, all the other essential skills of adult life, but it also includes the much more important aspects of teaching them how to be a disciple of Jesus. Because your kid cannot know the front end from the back end of the car, but if they know how to walk with God, they will have a great life. And they need both. But if you have to pick one or the other, the instruction of the Lord, that's, what's in, that's why that's in there, is it's much more important. They should learn, for example, how to go to church every week. And you can start real young. Our kids were six weeks old when they went to church for the first time. And they have not stopped going. And it has not been optional in our house. In fact, we've never had a discussion about it. On Sunday, we just get up and go. And we've always done that. Um, you need to teach your kids how to do that. And you need to build that into the habit of, your, of their life. You need to teach them how to serve Jesus in your local church with your spiritual gifts, just like you do. And how will they learn? By watching you do it. You need to teach them how to read their Bibles every day. By the way, how are they going to learn that? By watching you do it. You need to teach them how to pray. How will they learn that? By watching you do it. You need to teach them how to apply Scripture in your own life. You need to teach them how to repent of sin and how to extend forgiveness and how to share the Gospel and how to seek the Lord in every single decision in life and how to suffer hardship with your faith intact. And how do they learn these things? As you lie down and as you rise up, you talk about them. And you talk about them when you're in the car and on the road and over a meal and they see them and observe them in your daily life. They watch us. And the faith is not only taught, it is caught. Amen? As it's observed and seen. The Christian life is lived out by example. And that is our calling and that is what God is asking of us when He gives us the great privilege and honor and blessing and calling of becoming a parent. And by the way, just a word of caution to us as parents. You can do all of these things. You can do every single one of them right. And it is not a guarantee from God that your child will grow up and walk with Him. There's no mathematical formula on this. It isn't a certain amount of this plus a certain amount of that plus a certain amount of this. And then presto changeo, you get a God-honoring, uh, Jesus-following, uh, Spirit-filled child as a result out the back end. The children are not widgets. This isn't a factory, right? But here's the deal. They will not know how to do that if they don't have your example to follow in doing it. they still got to be individually saved, right? And individually walk with God in response to the Spirit's leading, but they still need to know how to do all these things. And they learn by watching you.
So bottom line, here's the point. The Holy Spirit spilling transforms the Christian household. And it reveals the gospel's power with the people that we are closest to. Because here's the thing. If the gospel doesn't work in our own house, it doesn't work. But it does work. And it is meant to work in our own house. And that when we obey God, that it shows up with the people who get to see us most closely. That's why, for instance, for instance, that the um, that the scriptures talk about when they talk about qualifying to be an elder or a deacon, they talk about your relationships in your own family, because they want to. We want to know as uh, as the body of Christ, does their faith work when the rest of us are not around to observe it? Right? Does it work with? My kids, does it work with my spouse? Uh, if it doesn't work there, then obviously this is a person who has some more maturing to do before we put them in leadership over the family of God. Amen? That's the idea. Our faith has to work in our house. And this is the place where if you're a child, you first learn how to follow Jesus, even when it might not be easy to do so. And learn to do what is right because you're more concerned about honoring God than about how you might feel about your circumstances. And if you're a parent, then this passage lays out your calling too. Because our homes are the place that it matters the most. That we live like followers of Jesus. And not like members of the world. This is the place where the next generation is raised. This is the place where our faith is most closely observed and most easily imitated. But to do that, we will need the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I'm preaching these passages about the family, let me just tell you, this is an uncomfortable thing to do. Because I've got to examine myself every week and go, am I like this? Is my house like this? Am I a godly husband and father? Not as much as I would like to be, right? And, and so we all have areas where as we look at the Scriptures, we go, ooh, this is a lot taller hurdle than I thought, right? But we are given the Spirit of God for that very reason. That, that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we might do what the Scripture is calling us to do. Amen? And does our culture need godly parents? Yes. Does our culture need a whole bunch more godly children? Yes. Is our culture desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that it transforms individual lives? Yes. Okay? We, we live right now in a, in a time and a place where nobody knows anything. We don't know if we're a man or a woman. We don't even know what those things mean anymore. We don't know what it means to be a family. We don't know what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, what it means to walk with God in a daily relationship. We don't know these things. 
And our culture needs us. Not only because God has abundantly given us the answers, but it needs us to shine like lights in the darkness and to point the way to the light. That Jesus Christ transforms lives and He transforms the way that we live and speak and act and think with the people closest to us. We need this. We need this in our own house. We need this on our own street, in our own city, in our own country. We need this. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us to live this out and to reach not only the current generation of parents, but the one that's, that we're raising. If you don't you don't like the way that this generation is living, guess who raised them? We did. Right? And we're right now in the process of raising up another generation. And we need them to honor God. And we need this kind of deliverance that God's that God's Holy Spirit provides and empowers and that the Gospel is the only source for. Amen? So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we, as I said, live in a lost, a deeply lost world. Father, we are confused about nearly everything in our culture and in our world. And Father, to find our way out of the darkness, we, we need to find the light that only comes through Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead. Father, I pray that You would use us, the people of Chillicothe Bible Church, to shine like lights in the dark. That we would have the Gospel on our lips and in our lives in such a way that that we could not stop talking about what Jesus has done for us, how He died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life, and that we could not stop putting on display the transformation in our lives that the Gospel brings about as we believe it. Father, I pray that, that the Gospel would be abundantly evident in our homes, with the people closest to us. I pray that it would be so abundant that our neighbors in our own community of people who live around us will be curious, what is it that you are doing? What is makes your kids different from my kids? Why are you so joyful in raising your kids? And we would be able to say, it is not anything related to me. It is all the fact that Jesus reigns in my heart and in my house. Father, I pray for a transformation and a revival in our community and in our culture and in our country. Father, we so desperately need Jesus. We so desperately need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We so desperately need the family to be reclaimed as the place where the gospel is lived out. And Father, we need your help. We need your help. As people in the church, Father, we need your help to live out the calling you've given to us as children, 
and the calling you've given to us as parents. And Father, we lay ourselves before you and we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us that we might fulfill the task and we might be faithful gospel witnesses in a day that needs the gospel more than ever. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.